My name is Jacob Parnell. I'm the preaching minister here. We are in a series called the Jesus Creed, as you hopefully know, but if you're visiting with us, this is a series that we've been in through the month of January, where we take what Jesus himself called the two greatest commandments, and we try to pray them. We try to take them into our lives. We haven't just been trying to do them, although we're trying to love God and love our neighbors, but we're trying to treat this like a prayer and asking God to transform us, to have the heart of being able to do this, and to do this through us. So as we begin today, I want to invite all of you to stand with me, and we are going to pray the Jesus Creed relatively loosely together. Try not to sound like a robot when you say it. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And if you would, repeat that last line for me. Okay, just so that we're all on the same page. Good job. You guys can have a seat. Last week, we spent the majority of our time looking at the word love, because it's a pretty big part of love God and love neighbor. You've got to know what love is. We let God's example of how he loves us define our understanding of what loving him back and what loving our neighbor ought to look like. This week, we're going to zoom in and look specifically at this concept of loving your neighbor and what that should look like what that means for us. They say, there's a saying that you may have heard, and it goes like this, and it might make you a little bit uncomfortable when you hear it, especially if it's true. The saying is, you are never more than six feet away from a spider. Have you heard that before? Given the data that we have on how many spiders there are in our world, and the fact that they like to hide in, in places and cracks and under the seats that you might be sitting in, and they're in the walls, and basically they're everywhere, you are never more than six feet away from a spider. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a fun thing to uh, think about. Where's the, oh, six, it could be over there. It's under the stage. It might be on my back. Ah, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if it's true. I think it's close to true. Or it seems true. Some people have said, like, three feet away from a spider. You're never more than ten feet away from a spider. There's different versions of this. But the idea is, if there's you, there's a spider that's not very far away. I want us to consider this when we think about neighbors. Who is your neighbor? I would like to think that you are never more than just a few feet away from a neighbor. They're on the other side of the wall. They're sitting around you. You may not know their names. You may not have ever interacted with them before, but there are plenty of neighbors to love. But sometimes, like we do with spiders, we tend to keep our distance from neighbors, people who are potential uh, friends or people who can be a part of our life. There's an exercise that I came across at some point, and I want you to do this with me right now. If you, oh, I got all these pictures. I got a little bit ahead of myself. I'll share these with you now. We have been, I've been asking you guys to share with me your experiences of the Jesus Creed uh, and how this has been impacting your life. Because it's not just something we talk about in here. It's something that we pray in our homes and we take into our works. And that's why these Jesus Creed buttons, everybody, if you have a Jesus Creed button, just tap on it real quick so we can hear that tapping sound. That's cool. Ooh, that sounds kind of like a light rain. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, He's reminding us to love God and to love our neighbors and to pray what we prayed at the beginning in our lives. 
So this, there's a hiking group at Tri-Valley, and uh, it's, Brett's part of the hiking group, Dana and Marla, they go out hiking together. If you want to be part of the hiking group, I think it's an open group. You can talk to Brett or Dana or Marla. And uh, they were out hiking this past week, and they went up to the Pleasanton Ridge. And there's a geocache there that they found. And if you don't know what a geocache is, you can ask Brett or Marla or Dana. But somebody had their Jesus Creed card and somebody had their Jesus Creed button. They said, we're going to leave this at the geocache. So if someone comes geocache hunting and they find this, they're also going to find the Jesus Creed. So good job, you guys. Way to spread the word. Um, This was sent to us by Andrea Faulkner up in Montana. These rocks are apparently from Glacier National Park or something like that. I don't know if this is a meme that she found or if she herself created this and arranged these rocks into the shape of a heart as a reminder to love God and love your neighbor. But thanks for sending us that, Andrea, watching online. This is my daughter, Leah. Uh, The Parnells have been taking the Jesus Creed into our home. Every morning before the girls go off to school, we do something called a stair prayer because we sit at the base of the stairs and we, we pray for each other before we head out the door. And we've been praying the Jesus Creed. So this is Leah doing her best to kind of finish the sentences, the, the Jesus Creed lines as they come. It's kind of hard to hear, but she's only one. So what do you want? Here it goes. Ready? Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your... And with all your... Kill. With all your... Mind. Mind and with all your... And love your... Neighbor as your... Self. There is no commandment greater than geese. Yep. She's adorable. <laughs> Equally adorable, Justin Garza. <laughs> Justin has been working on praying uh, the Shema part of the Jesus Creed in Hebrew. So check this out. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. That's all I know so far. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastico. I got this photograph texted to me yesterday from Steve Fisher. He takes his Jesus Creed button into work with him. Way to go, Steve. And then, this one's a little extra special. I got this text from Kendon Mackins yesterday that said, still kicking. And he's got his DTO button. This is our series that we did last year. So uh, hopefully he's praying the Jesus Creed as well, but he's also remembering to do to others as uh, he would have them do to him. So anyway, there we go. That's the recap. Here's the exercise that I mentioned a moment ago. You can do this. You can take out a piece of paper or you can just do this in your mind, but make a little tic-tac-toe grid, and then put yourself in the middle as you think about your neighbors. Think about where you live, wherever it is that you sleep most nights. Think of who is your neighbor in the house in front of you, or who lives behind you. Who are the two people on either side of you? The families that live there in the apartment next to you, the house, the yard, whatever, and then try to fill in those corners too. Are you able to name all of these families? Do you know who your neighbors are? Do you know what their kids' names are? Do you know what they call their dogs or their pets? It's just kind of a good check to see, hmm, I'm maybe connected with my neighbors, maybe I'm not. You can also take this exercise and apply it to where you work. If you work in a place where you're at a desk or an office or something like that, do you know the people around you? 
If you're in school, you can take any period of the day. Desks are normally arranged in little pods or in rows, and you can think, hmm, okay, in my math class, do I know the name of the person that sits in front of me? Do I interact with the person that is one back and one over from me? If we're supposed to love our neighbors, these are our proximity neighbors. These are our geographic neighbors, and this could be a good exercise for us to do. As we saw last week, if the definition of love that we're going for is a love that is uh, committed love, it's effective love, a love that is present, advocates for someone, and transforms you and them more into the image of Jesus Christ, you can ask yourself that question. Am I loving my neighbors in my neighborhood with this kind of love? Am I loving the people in my math class with this kind of love? Uh, and that's a challenge enough on its own. That could be the whole sermon today. I wanted to put this out there just to give you something to think about, but then I, now I want to steer us in a different direction. Because I think this kind of understanding of love your neighbor can be a little bit misleading. It is a good thing to love these people and to transform your definition of love and to put yourself out there more. But the risk and the, the, the danger that we have of approaching it this way is that this can turn into just another exercise that's going to appeal to extroverts. If I said, okay, church, this is your homework, go out and do this, then all of the extroverts, the more like people-oriented folks who love to have conversations and just very uh, outgoing, they're going to go, great, let's do this. And all the people who are not, all of our introverts, are going to say, hard pass. This is not going to happen. <laughs> and Lisa and I, we get inspired every once in a while. We make this grid and we go, man, we haven't hung out with our neighbors in a while. Let's have a Christmas party or let's go knock on some doors and see if, how people are doing. And, you know, that'll happen for a little while and then, you know, you get busy and time goes by and you go right back to waving at them across the street and then shutting your own garage door in your face. <laughs> and that's our relationship with our neighbors. We'll work on that. And again, that's something that you can work on. But I think that there's a more immediate need and a deeper problem that loving your neighbor as yourself poses. It's something that we need to address when it comes to loving our neighbors. And I think that if we look at Leviticus 19.18, where Jesus gets this add-on to the Shema, this love your neighbor as yourself, it will give us some clues about what this is supposed to look like. So, you might remember from week one, when we first started talking about the Jesus Creed, we said the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The love God part comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, what we call the Shema, what Justin is perfecting in Hebrew these days. And the other part comes from Leviticus 19.18. It's one verse out of this large book uh, from the Old Testament, the, the time of Moses. And maybe you guys wrote that down and maybe you went and looked at it. But my guess is you just took my word for it and you said Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. It does say that, but that's not all it says. So I want to show you what Leviticus 19.18 actually says in its entirety. This is just one verse. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but, and then here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus is a book of rules. A lot of people don't like Leviticus. It seems like there's very, very specific things mentioned, like you Israelite people, if you have a skin disease, these are the number of days that you're supposed to stay away from the camp so you don't infect or bother anybody with your skin disease. And when we're looking for inspiration or trying to connect with God, we kind of go, yeah, okay, I'm going to skip through Leviticus because it's real specific. Don't eat the shellfish. All right, okay, got it. Let's get to Jesus already. But what Leviticus actually is, 
is God taking a group of people who were in the recently, recently, recently slaves. They were slaves in Egypt, and he has freed them. The whole crossing of the Red Sea, Moses, and let my people go. You guys are now free. You're not slaves anymore. I am going to teach you how to live as free people. And that's where Leviticus comes in. There's this code of morality and of ethics and how we're supposed to interact with each other now that we are not playing by their rules anymore. Now that we are free, God says, I'm going to show you who you're supposed to be. And that's a better way to look at Leviticus. So you get things like this. Here's how, here's how you're supposed to look as my people. I don't want you to seek revenge. I don't want you to bear a grudge against someone. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about this, seeking revenge against somebody is something that will push them away from you. And hold, uh, holding a grudge against somebody is something that will keep them away and keep you away. It creates distance between people. It seems like God is concerned about the distance that we tend to make between one another. And I'm not just making this up or trying to take one idea and apply it to one verse. Because if you look at the rest of Leviticus 19, we'll start back in verse 10 and just kind of scroll our way down. We're going to see that there's a lot of things that reveal God's heart for people living in community with each other. Look at verse 10. I want you to leave some of the things in your field when you harvest. I want you to leave things behind so the poor can come along and glean. Verse 11, I don't want you to steal or lie or deceive one another. You can't do that by yourself. Steal, lie, deceive. You do that in community. So this is, this is a way to deal with how to love your neighbors. Don't falsely swear against somebody. Don't profane the name of the Lord. Verse 13, don't defraud or rob your neighbors. Verse 14, don't take advantage of the disabled, the blind, the deaf. Verse 15, don't pervert justice. You need to judge fairly in the way that you judge. Verse 16, no smack talk. Don't endanger your neighbor's life. Verse 17, don't hate a fellow Israelite. Speak frankly. And I was thinking about how these two ideas go together. You're not supposed to hate somebody, but you should speak frankly. How often do you resist the, the opportunity to speak frankly? And that's when you what? Hold on to your anger and you bear a grudge, which you're also not supposed to do, according to verse 18, which is where we started. Don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's desire, it seems, is for his children to live in harmony with one another. Not around each other and not in spite of one another, but with each other. Living in community the way that God calls us to. Not keeping your distance from one another. Not leaving others to fend for themselves. You're fine, I'm fine, let's just not talk. Not putting up walls that keep us apart. Love your neighbor. If we look at this passage where Jesus got it from, is about creating community. So I want to focus on that this morning. I want to focus on this community. You guys, the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. What does this mean for a church like Tri-Valley that has had people who have been living in community with each other for years? In some cases, up to 50 years. People go way back that they've been part of this congregation together. Take a moment now. That was way back. Let's focus on the present. Do that grid exercise. You can write this out again. The question that I have that I wonder a lot of the time, with as much as many good things that are going on, is as a church, have we learned to love each other, to truly love each other, or do we sometimes just get by with tolerating each other? 
Tolerance is kind of a bad word. It, it frustrates me when people talk about the value of tolerance. Sometimes I see a bumper sticker that says, tolerance, tolerate each other. That bugs me because tolerance is a very low bar for relationships. And I'll show you what I mean. Um, Darren, one of our elders, the guy who was sitting up here just a few minutes ago, he has a t-shirt that says, I love my wife. There he is wearing his t-shirt that says, I love my wife. And you can tell from this photo that he loves his wife. And on behalf of the city of San Francisco, I just want to say, get a room, the two of you. <laughs> he loves his wife more than he loves bacon, more than he loves Star Trek. What if Darren wore a shirt that said, I tolerate my wife? Wouldn't we be a little bit concerned? Eh. She's always around. I tolerate her. That is pretty disappointing. Especially when love is our standard. Love is what was prescribed for us by Jesus. Uh, love comes from God, the author of love. And he's like, I want you to love God with all you got. I want you to love your neighbor with the kind of love that you've learned from God. I mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians 13 is a good place to go if you're looking for a list of, of the characteristics of love and what it looks like. And sometimes they read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings. Love is patient, kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it isn't rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It always, what does it always do? Protects, hopes, trusts, perseveres, and it's good to read this at weddings because it, it applies, but it's a little bit read out of context when you read 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding. And here's why. When at a wedding, there's a bride and there's a groom, and they are just, they're looking at each other like Darren and Sandra in San Francisco, right? They are in love, and they are ready to do this, and it's the happiest day of their lives. And then we read this passage and say, hey, don't forget, you should love each other. And they go like, we know, that's easy, we're primed to love, this is the greatest day. We forget that 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a church that was fighting. It was written to a group of people who didn't know what to do with each other. It was written to a group of people that had discovered Christ and a new set of rules. They were like the Israelites who had found freedom from slavery. And they're saying, you're free. This is what you should do now. They go, we don't really know. We're so used to rich and poor being separate, Jews and Gentiles being separate, men and women, slaves and masters. And, and what do we do now? Paul writes this letter and he says, I know you guys aren't getting along. Your assemblies are kind of out of control. But here's what you need to do. You need to love each other. That's what that description in 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. It's not written to a bride and groom who are like, let's do this. It's written to a group of people that are doing this. They're ready to quit. They're ready to go back into slavery terms and live the life that they knew. And Paul says, don't do that. Resist the urge to go back to your old ways, but love each other. So the question that's posed for churches like ours is, how do people who are different from each other live in community with each other. The modern solution outside the church, the solution is easy. You just don't even try. You don't live in community with each other. You find all the people that you like the most, and then you distance yourselves from all the people that are weird, 
you say, hey, they, they don't see things from my perspective. There's plenty of other people who will, so I'm going to block this person. I'm going to filter these comments. I'm going to not sit by you anymore. I'm not going to have conversations with you. I'm basically going to put up walls or close the garage door in my own face. Culture does not expect us to love one another in the family sense. Culture does not expect us to love one another in the Jesus creed sense. And the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells is so shocking because Jesus will not let people off the hook. He will not let us live by the standards of a culture that says, it's your choice. I want to read this for you now because this is where we get our uh, definition of who is my neighbor. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus shocks his audience by painting this stark contrast in the story of the neighbor who shows up to love somebody who is his complete social opposite. It's Jew versus Samaritan. Clean person versus an unclean person. If you touch somebody who is bloody or who you know, could possibly be dead, then that makes you ritually unclean. That really inconveniences your week. One man is in safety. The other man is in danger. So this man has to decide, am I going to put myself in danger by hanging out in the same place where this guy just got robbed? There's financial security versus this man who is a liability. But he takes on the expense. He puts him up in the inn. He goes out of his way to care for this person. And we are dealing with that same challenge in our society today. We're faced with the same decision as the man who is on the road. We have to decide whether or not we are going to play it safe. We have to decide as a church whether we are going to play by cultures, rules, or by the new commandments that are given to us as people of Jesus Christ. Are we going to be called to a higher standard that Jesus challenges us to in the Jesus Creed? To love God, not just as a concept, but with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. You should know it by now. And to love our neighbors, not just in theory and not from a distance, but to be as close to them as you are to yourself.
That's the challenge that faces us in the church. And when it works, when it is done right, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And hopefully you've gotten the chance to experience this. As I was thinking about this this week, a few examples came to mind that I wanted to share with you. Um, one of them comes from Joyce Solars and Wes and Deanne Wolford. Another one from Nina. Where'd Nina go? Okay, she's going to come up in here a min in a minute and uh, tell you about her experience with our church. And another one is Justin. And um, so I'm going to play a video where Joyce explains uh, a relationship that was formed between her and Wes and a Bible study that was started. And then Nina's going to come up and share her story with you too. Hi, everyone. Jacob wanted me to talk a little bit about a Bible study that I do every Tuesday night with Wes and Deanne. I approached Wes approximately a year ago um, after wanting to do a Bible study with someone um, to learn a little bit more about the Bible and deepen my knowledge. I had been thinking about a Bible study with maybe one other person and I brought that idea up to Rod and he suggested maybe a couple. And when he said that, I immediately thought of Wes and Deanne. And up until that point, I was kind of like, I don't know who I would study with. I don't know when we would do it. Um, but as soon as um, I realized that um, Wes and Deanne would be perfect, um, it kind of all fell into place. I approached Wes and asked him if they would be willing to do a Bible study with me. And he said he would talk to Deanne about it. And um, I think the next day, the next time I saw them, um, they said that they would love to do that. And so they very graciously opened up their home in Pleasanton. Since I work in Pleasanton, I go straight from work over to their house on Tuesdays and we have our Bible study. And it's been so enriching and I feel so close um, with Wes and Deanne. Um, they're so gracious and loving, and I just can't even explain um, how much I get out of the time with them um, and studying the Bible. It's been such a huge blessing um, for me, and I believe it's a huge blessing for them as well. Thank you. Joyce, real quick, what's your cat's name? That's moo? Like a cow? All right. Cool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. I was excited when I heard about that. I'm glad that that's still going. Nina, come on up here. Uh, if you don't know Nina, she's been part of this family since this past summer. And I'm gonna, I've asked her if she would share some of her experiences since she's been at Tri-Valley. I specifically asked her, what has Tri-Valley done to make you feel part of the family or to show you love? And she's just gonna say whatever she wants now. Oh. Boom. Now I need to pee. Hi, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nina. I came to California about six months ago and I've been coming to this church for about six months, maybe a little less. And um, I'm from South Africa, and I grew up in the Church of Christ. Um, I, there's a lot about me that is different compared to the rest of y'all, 
but I would have to actually make an effort to think about all of those differences to actually feel the difference. And that is one of the first things that I appreciated about being in this church. Um, when I first came, I was greeted by Judy. I don't know if she's here. But uh, she, um, she was very sweet, and she turned around, and she introduced me to somebody else, and they were like, we're so glad to have you. We're so happy that you're here. And, um, and then I met the Parnells, and that was the first, the first time we met. Uh, he wanted to um, have dinner with me. And that was the only time we spoke before they invited me over to their house. They invited a stranger that talks funny <laughs> to their house. <laughs> and, and that means a lot to me because you, you only invite your friends, people you care about, people you'll trust, your family to your house. And we had only spoken one time before they invited me. So I, I felt very, um, very honored, very welcomed, very loved. And that's how I've been feeling with every, every one of you. Um, I feel not only when I come on Sundays and people smile at me and people hug me, it's, you know, the same people that, the same person that's hugging me or smiling at me has been speaking to me the whole week, asking me how I've been doing, how, you know, things are going at home and, and where I'm living. And they were spoken. I mean, we've eaten together, had dinner together, um, looked for ravens and called them crows. Or, <laughs> let's go watch Harry Potter. You don't look like you'll scream if a cat's not really a cat. And, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a, a, relation, a relationship that, you know, let's not be brothers and sisters in Christ just because we go to the same church and we're all Christians, but I want to know you like a brother and speak to you like a brother or like a sister and like a father. And um, I've used this love that I've gotten from every one of you um, as a shield against negativity, like a negative environment that I um, am around. It doesn't affect me as much as it would if I didn't have all of you. I spent a lovely Thanksgiving with the Giles and I had the most best Christmas with the Parnells. And I don't, this love made me want for nothing. Um, like I said, it, I use it as a shield for a lot of things. And I appreciate you all. Thank you for being my brothers and sisters and fathers, grandfathers. <laughs> We appreciate you, Nina. I appreciate you sharing that this morning, too. And then I thought about Justin, and uh, you guys all know Justin. He's like a piece of the furniture now. He's, <laughs> he's installed. Uh, but there was a time when Justin was visiting with us, when he was new to faith, when he was new to this church. And I asked him to kind of reflect on some of the experiences that he had when he became a Christian, uh, how, what people influenced him, and specifically a relationship that uh, he and Rod were intentional with forming. So I'm going to let you say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, 
I have a tendency to talk and ramble, and so I'm going to keep it short. Um, if anyone wants the non-abbreviated version, feel free to come talk to me. There's, there's a lot of relationships I could talk about here at Tri-Valley that this has happened with. Um, but the one I really want to highlight, there's not one that's, that's more powerful, I think, than this illustration, and it's with my relationship with Rod. And um, when I first came to Christ, uh, it was about five and a half years ago. I'm a brand new Christian, brand new to this church, brand new to church, period. Uh, didn't grow up in church, wasn't used to, you know, everyone knowing everyone and being family and brothers that you didn't know were your brothers and sisters you didn't know were your sisters. And uh, that was a little uncomfortable for me. I am definitely naturally introverted. Um, but Rod had invited me uh, pretty, pretty early on. He's like, hey, I want to go out to breakfast with you and just sit across from the table and talk with you. And we went out, and uh, I remember that conversation. And, you know, it, it was like, yeah, I'm free that day. And, um, I, you know, not to... You can see clearly there's differences between the two of us. One of us has long hair. One of us is clean cut. One of us, you know... I'll, I got tattoos. I'm still working on Rod there, but not, not there yet. Um, there's significantly an age difference between the two of us. There's a background difference between the two of us. And we sat across this table, and um, there was a connection there. And very um, quickly from that, Rod was like, I'm here, you know, and I'd love to connect with you. And arms wide open. And uh, what, I, what I recognize looking back is that there was definitely a part, and I, as I listen to, to Joyce's story as well, there was a part of me saying yes to that. It, it was kind of about me saying, yeah, I want to I wanna meet with you. And, and really um, what stood out to me is I knew I needed to. Uh, and this happened in other relationships too, like I said, but, but I knew I needed this. And so Rod and I started meeting every Friday morning. And... Um, you know, it's, it's easy to look at it and go, well, yeah, you're the youth minister meeting with one of your elders. But this was before I was, you know, working as a youth minister for the church. And this was something that I knew I needed and I wanted to commit to. And we started meeting every Friday and we would get together. And initially it was, hey, you know, I really want to work on my prayer life. And um, Rod has really helped me with that through, through many different practices, some of them that we, we practice in the Thursday night group. Um, but it was just this time of meeting, and, and when I look at Jacob's list last week of um, the three I would, I would really highlight on was commitment, is this relationship has helped me see what devotion looks like to each other. It, it goes, I think, even beyond commitment, that this is, we're, we're devoted, we share life together, it's, it's become a healthy expression of confession at times, uh, we share uh, joys, we share struggles, uh, we, we are devoted to each other in prayer. Um, presence on that list was another one. And, um, you know, we make it important. Uh, this is something that when we have, like, if, if I'm at camp for a couple weeks or if, if Rod's up in Oregon or, or whatnot, I feel it. I feel like, oh, man, I feel I need to get back together with, with my buddy. And, uh, and then the last one on the list was transformation. And this relationship has drastically transformed my life. My prayer life, my, my walk with Christ, um, just me as a man. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at all those differences um, between the two of us. You know, my daughter would say she always calls Rod one of my besties. And, uh, and it's, it's absolutely true. I, I can honestly say Rod is one of my best friends. And, um, and it's because we 
see the value in it. It's become this mentoring relationship that I think goes both ways, and, um, and it's just been incredibly transformative. And so uh, my experience with that is the power of it, and also knowing it's important, say yes to it. There's, there's a ton of opportunities for that, and, and that's kind of when I look back at that story, it's, it's about saying yes and, and knowing I need that, so. Appreciate you sharing, Justin. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I wanted you guys to hear these stories because as a leader of this church, I get to hear this stuff a lot. I get these stories, they fall on my desk or they literally walk through my door. Mm. But the, the opposite side of that coin is that as a leader of this church, I also, I hear the, the stories about when that's not happening. Or I hear the stories of hurt or lack of connection. And sadly, it, it's true that for every success story that we could bring up on stage and say, hey, look at, look at how we're getting it right, there is somebody who walks away from our church. And a lot of times you guys don't get to hear that detail. You just start to notice over the course of weeks, hey, we haven't seen these folks in a while. Are they okay? Well, they left, and I know why, but they told me not to tell anybody. So I think a lot of times the leadership bears the weight of those departures, or sometimes you don't get any reason and you're just left guessing. Um, for every success story that we have, we have uh, women and men who are longing for Christian friendships and not finding them in the place they ought to find them. For every success story, there is somebody who is not being mentored or somebody who has been baptized and has come to Christ and asked these same questions like, what do I do next? And people just wave at them or close the garage door on them. We have people who won't talk to each other anymore because of past hurts or past histories. We have people who upset one another without realizing it. There are things that will happen on the stage that really, really anger people. But instead of going to the person in love, breaking bread together and, and having an honest conversation, the grudge is held, which we're not supposed to do. Um, and we can, we can look at these things, these examples of when things aren't going right, and say, well, that's not my experience. I've had a great welcome at this church. I've walked through all the doors that were open to me. Or we could justify ourselves like an expert in the law and say, well, here's the reason why. You know, Nina said yes. Joyce said yes. Justin said yes. These people aren't, aren't doing their fair share. But still, here we are. That's like going to the man who was beaten up on the side of the road and said, well, maybe you shouldn't have been on the side of the road. Maybe you shouldn't travel down a road where there's all these robbers. And what good does it do to rehearse that conversation? Because here we are. Here's the situation. What are we going to do about it? We can try to justify ourselves. We can say, here's why that's not my experience. Here's why that's not my fault. Here's why that's not my problem. But as we do that, Jesus is calmly waiting for us to finish, and then he says what he has said all along. There is no commandment greater than these, to love God and to love each other. This is God's heart. This should be our priority. They're not called the greatest commands for nothing. It's not just that they make a good button. This is what Jesus has called us, commanded us, and required 
of us. Jesus' prayer, just before he went to the cross, was this. John chapter 17. After he gets done praying for Peter, James, and John, his close friends and followers, he knows he's going to the cross, and he's saying, Lord, I want them to be okay. And then he turns his attention more uh, forward in time, and he starts talking about those who will believe because of them. Maybe even those who would read the things that they wrote that were preserved in our Bibles and who will gather in Livermore, California in 2019. He says, I want to pray for them. And this is Jesus' prayer for us. My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is part of a much longer prayer. And I have to admit, when I've read this in the past, John 15, 16, 17, it's this long prayer. The, the, the action in the story stops, and it's just listening to Jesus pray. I've skimmed through this because I want to get to the, the arrest and the sword and the, the exciting parts. But this is as important as it gets as we think about what it looks like to love each other as a church. Jesus says something that's kind of shocking here. The way that they, the way that the church loves each other will do two things. It will make the world Believe in Jesus. Believe that you have sent me, and it will make them know that you have sent me and that you love them. When I think about this, is he really saying what it sounds like he's saying here? That people will come to faith because of how you love the person sitting next to you? Is it dependent on that? It seems like a lot of the work that we do in the church is dependent on so many other things. People will want to be a part of the body of Christ because of what color we paint our walls, because of how well we sweep our entryways because of how clever and smart my sermons sound because of the events that we put on because of how clearly we are able to state our doctrine because of our buildings because of what does it boil down to they will come to know Christ because of the supernatural otherworldly way that we love each other if we do it and as a leader of this church, I'm asking myself, why have I not prioritized this? Why do I spend so much of my time sending emails and straightening papers and agonizing over which fonts to use in my Sunday morning slides? It's embarrassing, but I, I do. I waste a lot of your time. <laughs> How can we make this a priority as a church? I don't know. I don't have the answers to this, but I have some ideas. But I think that you have some ideas as well. And the conversations that sometimes don't make their way up to leadership are some of the grumbly conversations about, like, why don't we ever do this? Or, you know, what we ought to do is this. I want you to hear me say, yes, let's do that. Let's, as a church, do that. And if you're part of this church, you're going to be in charge of that. You are going to do that. If I can help you do whatever that is, let me help you. If I can announce something that needs to be announced, let me announce it. If we can pour money on that ministry that you want to start, let's do that. 
I was thinking about one of the things that I do, one of the tasks that I have as a minister, and that's to create the worship roster. You may have seen this if you're on the worship roster. If you're not, you'll never see this, but here it is now. Uh, every quarter, we kind of assign people to come up and do the communion talk or lead the prayer or run the slides back in the back or create the slides. There's different categories. And each quarter, I get to go, all right, here, I got all these empty boxes. Let's plug people in. Who's going to read? Who's going to say this? Who's going to whatever? And there's other rosters, too. Kent has one for the communion servers. There's a greeter schedule. Uh, there's lots of lists and things. And I was thinking about these categories. They're helpful for our Sunday morning worship assembly, for the, the presentation, if you will. So I'm not going to stop making this because I want to know who's leading the prayer, and I want to know, I want to prep, uh, prep the person who's going to be sharing thoughts, and they want to know what texts I'm going to be preaching on and all of this. But I started to think this is kind of a low bar. This is kind of a low standard. If my expectation for someone like Roger Richardson is to read a scripture for us, maybe like three or four verses from the Bible out loud, once every 12 weeks, and then I say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Do this and you will live. That's, that's not getting it. That's missing the heart of Jesus. That's missing the Jesus creed. So today, at 5 a.m., I didn't put a lot of thought into this. It's, it's a new idea. I started thinking, what would it look like if these categories were different? And if it wasn't just optional that we love each other in this life-changing, transformative way? What if we started assigning this. Not a signing, that sounds weird. What if it became the expectation? What if it became the standard? And so I came up with this list, and this is even harder to read than that last one. I'm sorry for those of you who have a hard time seeing this, but what if the, the categories that I needed to fill in every quarter look like this? I need someone to call somebody who's on the prayer list. We get prayers every single week. Hopefully you guys are praying for them on your own, but if you call them and say, I'm praying for you, how's it going? how those test results come back. I, I need somebody who is willing to visit somebody in the hospital. I need somebody who says like, hey, it's my week to go get coffee and pray with somebody from the church. And I know just where I'm going to take them. We need people who are willing to commit to say, hey, come over and have dinner with my family because you learn a lot about people at their table and in their home. It's my week to invite somebody out for lunch. There's a first-time visitor, they're new in town, maybe they just moved in here from uh, some other state. I'm going to take them out to lunch. I'm expecting that that's going to be me. It's your week to invite your neighbor to church. What if we assigned and expected that people would travel with each other? This one may require some explanation. Like, that's another place. Like, like at a meal table, you learn a lot from somebody by just sitting next to them in traffic. If you drive more than 20 minutes with someone, you're going to have great conversations. Things are going to open up. You're going to learn things about them. You're going to connect on levels that you may not be able to, just greeting people after church on Sundays. It's my week to send encouraging texts. I'm going to send 50 of them. They're free. It's easy to do. I'm going to worship with somebody new. Oh, Jacob has an expectation that I don't sit in the same spot every Sunday, but that I go across the aisle I learned somebody's name. I learned their pet's names. And we praise God together because we are part of the same church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's my week to write five notes of encouragement and put them back on our encouragement wall. This one's going to be hard. You don't want to be assigned this one. It's my week to bury the hatchet with someone. Oh, I guess I better figure out who I've got a grudge with. Figure out who I haven't spoken to and call them because that's what Christians do. It's my week to go ding-dong ditch somebody. I don't know... 
don't know if you guys are on board with this one, but a great way to show someone you love them is to ring their doorbell and run away. And if you videotape it, I will put it on our Facebook page. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> uh, it's expected of me as a Christian at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ that I'm going to love my enemies and pray for them. It's my week to Good Samaritan, somebody. This is just a start. I would love to hear your ideas of what good, worthwhile categories we could have at this church where loving each other becomes the expectation and not the special story that we want to tell, where it becomes the norm, where it just happens. And like I said before, it happens a lot. So I'm not saying, you guys failed. This is your homework. I'm saying this is what could be if we took this seriously, the way that you guys have been responding to the, the buttons and the prayers. Uh, I love this church. I was at a birthday party yesterday where I got to spend a majority of my time just talking about what a great church this is. Uh, and I want us to continue to be faithful as a church. So I'm, I made a sign-up list. If you want to be part of this, this is something I'm going to actually start doing. And if you, I'm not going to force anybody to do this because that's not going to go over well. But if you are willing to be on what I'm calling the love list, how we're going to love each other, uh, then there's a sheet in the foyer. I want you to write your name and your email address down there. And that's one of the things that I'll spend my time on as I spend less time on fonts and things that just don't matter. Because I think this is something that matters. This is going to transform our lives. This is going to brighten the light that we have that draws people to Jesus Christ and says, I want to know more. I want Jesus in my life. Will you pray with me that this will happen? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the Jesus Creed. Thank you for your love. Thank you for challenging us to break out of things that are easy or that are boring or that are uninteresting and calling us to an exciting commission to love in a reckless way, to love in a Jesus way. Change our hearts so that this comes more naturally. The more that I try to do this, the more that I pray this, the more that I'm terrible at this, the more that I fail. But I thank you for believing in me. I thank you for proving that this works. I thank you for Christ who laid down his life, who sacrificed himself so that we can live. Not just so that we can go to heaven, but so that we can truly live and have life to his fullest. God, I pray for this church. I pray that it continues to be the church that you want it to be, that we are more connected with each other. I pray that you break down walls and make us more neighbors of each other, neighbors that love each other, neighbors that know each other, neighbors that care for one another and check in and encourage and lift up each other. And God, forgive us for the people who have fallen through the cracks, people who don't deserve to be ignored, to be disregarded, to be justified away. <sighs> Change our hearts. May we have the reputation that goes far beyond this room. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.